Okay, welcome back to the DAC podcast for 2020. My name is Nathan, and together with Boris and a few special guests today, we'll be bringing to you episode 13 of the series. This episode we'd like to dedicate to the late Tom Kelly. Um, this Tuesday, the 15th of September, marks seven years since his passing. We thought it'd be good to get together, talk about the, talk about the great man uh, and, and the contribution he made to DAC and the wider athletic community. community. So without further ado, let's uh, get into the podcast. Boris, uh, firstly, to my co-host, welcome. How are you, mate? Yeah, well, thanks, Nathan. This is an episode I've been looking forward to. It's um, I joined the club only recently, and so I've slowly been learning more and more about Tommy and through the podcast and everything. And I think this would be good just to fill in all the gaps for me and everyone else that's new to the club on yeah, the, uh, sure. the great Tom Kelly. He, uh, he comes up in most episodes, so it'd be good to hear a little bit that's more right. about him today. Um, first of all, I'd like to introduce um, Colleen Kelly. So Tom's daughter will be joining us today. She's actively involved in the club over recent years, um, serving on the committee and also heading up the recent uh, Ruffy Runners Recreational Group. She's a runner also. Uh, Colleen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Nathan and Boris. Thank you for having me. No, it would be great to, um, to, to hear more about your dad today. Um, Adrian Paddy, um, past president of the club, served on the committee for a number of years. He's also a life member um, and was coached under Tommy uh, for his entire career at the club. So, uh, Paddy, welcome to the podcast. Boys, how are you going? Good. Uh, and last but not least, Michael Gallagher is also joining us, um, committee member for a number of years, um, also a life member, and, and was also touched, coached under uh, Tommy for his running career. So, Gags, uh, welcome. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Boris. Thanks for the uh, invitation. Great to be here. Yeah, no, it's um, – well, I think today's aim uh, is to obviously talk about Tommy, um, his journey from Ireland. We're going to take it all the way back to there. We're going to look at uh, into his running career, first of all. Um, and how he transitioned um, into coaching um, and, and how many people he, he influenced. So perhaps, Colleen, if we take it back to sort of how he came over to Australia um, and we can go from there. All right, Nathan. So as probably everyone knows, Dad was born in Ireland. So he was born in a little town called Mullina Home back in 1931, January 8th. Right. Um, so he's, he went to the local school there Um and he used to tell us the story of um, sitting on hay bales and seeing a group of athletes running in a local event across the fields. Now, Dad was the second eldest of five, um, and he seemed to be the only one that was fascinated by these runners out across the fields. And it used to be, he found out later that that was the county cross-country course. Um, so it was a few hundred metres from his home on the farm. And he always imagined himself jumping over fences and, and gates while running through the paddock. So maybe this is where the steeplechase came into his life. Anyway, um, so that was his initial inspiration. And apparently he ran with one of Ireland's strongest clubs, so Bell and Curry, the Harriers, and that was home to John Joe Barry, who apparently held the first world record on grass for the mile. So a lot of people right. probably don't know that. But... Um, yeah. Training with this athlete is what also inspired Dad. Um, so he also used to play hurling um, as well. So he sort of ran cross-country and did a lot of hurling. And um, at 18, he won the County Novice Championship and placed second in junior and senior championships the same year for Tipperary. He was chosen to represent Tip 
in the All-Ireland Nationals where he won the Provincial and All-Ireland Team Medals. And he gained an Irish Green singlet in the 32 County NACA. And there's a photo that circulates with Dad dressed in his green singlet and his white shorts. Um, so, um, <laughs> He, and apparently in, in one of these events, he was favoured to win when disaster struck and he fell while climbing a wall landing heavily on his back. Um, he chased the group for a couple of miles but um, had to pull out due to the injury. But I think this is what spurred him on in later years. It was always that memory of, of that event and he sort of wanted to... Um, um, wanted to put that behind him and use that, though, as motivation. Um, as I said, he was also a talented hurler representing his county team, winning an All-Ireland Minor Championship medal. He was a fierce competitor. And the saying goes that he lost many of his teeth across the local county fields. Um, he left school at 14 years and he worked at his uncle's foundry, which back in the day was a type of factory where they melted metal. He, I think he saw the writing on the wall because generally farms were always left to the eldest son, so Dad felt that there wasn't much of a future for him in Ireland. So in his early 20s, um, he moved then to Birmingham in England where he found work as a painter for a housing developer. Um, but he continued his love of athletics and hurling, joining local cubs um, Club, sorry, apparently he played <laughs> hurling for Warwickshire, winning an English championship, and he ran cross-country for Heath Harriers in Birmingham. He became quite restless and then never telling his mum or family, he lost his father. His father was in his early 50s when he, he died, so Dad was quite young, um, so didn't have the, the influence of his father um, during his teens. So came restless, um, decided to take advantage of the £10 ticket to Australia and he set sail on the Orchidees for, for Melbourne. He could have chosen WA, but because the Olympics were in that year of 1956, he decided Melbourne became the lure. So um, he also attended those games, which he doesn't really talk about. He didn't talk about greatly. Um, so he settled into the local Irish community in Hawthorne, boarding with a couple of young Irishmen and, and finding work with the tramways as a driver. So he always used to say that he called Australia his island, um, using the spelling of island the country rather than ISN <laughs> as his home. So he sort of managed to, to step between the two countries, but they were both home to him. Um, so that's basically a little bit of his of his mm. early years. Um, but as you can see, I suppose, the running and the, the hurling were always his big inspirations and passions, even back then. Did yeah. he get Did he get back to, uh, we'll probably chat about it a bit later, but I've been lucky enough to go to Ireland and um, he, he knew everyone there, but maybe it's an Irish thing, but did he get back a lot when he, when he did sort of come to Australia? Did he get back home? Not not for some time. So the first trip back would have been in 72 when he went across to the um, the World Veterans Games. So whenever he managed to travel overseas, he would try and um, get back to Ireland. He'd include his Irish trip as part of the travels and link up with his family and, um, 
and all the friends that he left behind. So um, as you know, one of Dad's characteristics was his ability to just pop in. So he would <laughs> pop in anywhere and it, it didn't matter if he hadn't seen that person for decades. He, mm. he was driving past, he'd, he'd sort of say to whoever was in the car, if he was on his own, he would just pop in. And um, but I think that was one of Dad's endearing qualities was just his ability to, um, I don't know, connect connect with people and but he was genuinely interested about them um, as well. So, um, he, he did he did pop in. I know when I went to Ireland with Eddie, uh, we had to go back to Dublin. We had we had sort of the day to get back to Dublin. The flight wasn't until later that day, but um, it, you know what's it from Mulner home? It's about two and a half hours back to to Dublin or so, and and it took us a good seven or eight hours because we stopped in at every second house <laughs> to say good day to that's a friend of a friend or a cousin or an uncle and. Um, yeah, he hadn't seen it for years, but it didn't matter. And um, we went in for a, a cup of tea, as you do. And um, and there you go. So, <laughs> and uh, hey, just one cup of tea. No, many cups of tea. You got to. The, the tip is not to drink it, and it's always full, so it can't be topped. Up. <laughs> um, and and for those listening to Colleen, what is hurling? Some people know what hurling is, but oh, uh, it's like hockey, but the um the and city. football. And every uh, <laughs> you whack a ball around, so it's different to Holly in that you can actually raise the stick. Mm. So it's quite fierce. I mean, did you get to a game, Nathan? We did get to what? a game, but we went to the uh, well. We went and had a crack at it first of all at the local um, oval um, with one of the greats um, of hurling over there, and uh, yeah. and um, a very tough sport. But yeah, we we learnt a bit about it. But yeah, if anyone's listening, go Google it and have a watch it. Yeah. Just on that, Nathan, is, isn't that that all island for people who don't know? That's the equivalent of AFL over there. So that's how high level yeah. hurling was. That's how the level Tommy played at. That was the equivalent of AFL, and they get massive crowds like we do here to our AFL game. So it's that's how good he was at hurling, and how much net you never told us yeah. how good he was. But yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I think you always said that because his opponents were usually taller than him, he had to be quicker. So yeah. he worked on his. Um, he worked on his speed and he worked on his skill because, as I said, generally opponents were a bit bigger than Dad. Um, so he used his fleet of foot to um, to get around them and his um, his skills. But as I said, he was a fierce competitor, as you probably all would have if you were playing any type of game with him, whether it was kicking a footy or a bit of hurling at an oval. He or even musical chairs at the Christmas. <laughs> Indeed. How competitive was he? <laughs> um, there was one uh, occasion too where he decided to demonstrate hurling while we were oh. training. He brought down the hurley, the hurling stick, and after showing us how it was done, then proceeded to hit the ball at us as we were. <laughs> That's the larrikin in your mind. That's right. That's right. And um, so that, that were the days in in Ireland, and he. As you said, he was he did hurling. He was a runner. And when did he really have a crack at uh, his sort of his running career? And maybe, um, yeah, maybe elaborate a bit on that. Yeah, well, I, I suppose it's when he came. So he came here in '56, and he joined the local Irish community. Um, he met and married Mum, so he met Mum at a local dance. Um, and as many of you know, Dad loved to dance. <laughs> 
I think he had that Irish affinity to lively music, but he also loved a waltz. Um, and Mum often spoke of their first meeting um, after a few lads had directed Dad onto the wrong tram and Mum took pity on him. Um, and apparently, so they were married in 57 and then Brendan Lay, who spoke at Dad's funeral, he spoke about Mum and Dad's first date where they went for this really long walk, um, finally arriving at a large park in nearby Collingwood. Um, apparently there were lots of people there, but Mum thought nothing of it until Dad walked over to a tree with her. He started removing all of his clothes, and lo and behold, he was in his athletic shorts and singlet. He told Mum to say push that he'd be back shortly. So he joined in the 10-mile race, then he turned <laughs> his clothes back on and back home they walked. So that was their... <laughs> I, um, I just think, you know, Mum astutely realised that if she was ever to accept Dad as a friend, let alone a husband, she had to accept him as an athlete. Um, well said. So they, so they lived in Box Hill. They moved to Box Hill. Um, and as their house was built in an Olympic year, one of the building bricks was actually embossed with the Olympic rings. So I think Michael might have that um, with him. Um, and then I suppose from there he joined the Boxall Athletic Club. So that was the local, that was the local club. But um, even through they were they were part of St. Clair's Parish. Um, and Dad, he helped build the church there, but he was also instrumental in the establishment of St. Clair's Little Athletics Club. And then the formation of the local competition. Um, so I suppose that's where his love came from. So he got involved with Little Athletics and he also got involved then with Box Hill. I think they were called the Harriers back then. Um, and it was, a, yeah, it was a bit of a joke among the family because all of our first baby outings were to Olympic Park. So <laughs> you know, there was always that... Um, yeah, we were raised in athletic at, at athletic venues. Michael tells of, of you know going down in in someone's car to whether it was Fisherman Ben somewhere and sitting on tables pinching the the jelly beans in the water. <laughs> Dad was out competing in his run, so you know it was just it was it was a big part of our lives was just um, athletics and and box hills. So. Um, that's how he got involved. So he was at Box Hill from 57 to 77. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, Colleen, was he involved in coaching from quite an early time with, like, coaching the lass and those um, sorts of things? That sort of probably came in the late 70s, Boris. Okay. Um, so he started to develop a love of coaching with advised juniors um, at the Box Hill Athletic Club. Yeah. Um, and then it, it sort of evolved from there. But, um, I mean, he spent 20 years at Box Hill, became a life member um, at Box Hill, and he also established the um, the Box Hill Little Athletics Club as well. So, yeah, well, he, right. yeah so I think the, the coaching was a natural progression for Dad. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and he, in that 20 years, Colleen, he, he did some running himself. Um, 1961, he was the first Australian to win an international marathon. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that was 61. So during, um, I'm just, yeah, 
There's a few notes. <laughs> All the notes, trying to keep it in, in order. But um, no, so that was in 61 in, in Seoul. Um, and he represented Australia, yeah, in Korea, in the marathon. Yep. And it was to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the UN um, into Seoul. So they were the forces during the Korean War. That so was quite a, a significant um, event. There were a heatwave conditions, so apparently there was about 80 to 90% humidity. Um, and back then, they didn't tend to hydrate during a race. <laughs> and also remembers wearing a, a new pair of shoes, which we don't ever do that these days. Oh, so he at five miles and cramps at 18 miles. Um, he, he says he was a bit of a mess, but... Um, and this is where that disappointment in Ireland, I think, spurred him on and, and he, he hung in there to win. But um, it was about a two-hour and 40-minute time. He, he beat yeah. 50 international runners. Um, so it was, a, it was a huge achievement for Dad. And we believe he was the first Australian to ever win an international gold medal in the marathon. So, yeah, wow. Um, but there's an interesting side note to that, that so Dad was crowned with a laurel wreath as part of his um, as part of his win, and the leaves apparently had been taken from a tree presented to Kitty Sun, who was the 1936 Olympic gold medalist, and that was presented to this Kitty Sun by Hitler. So there was a bit of a, a bit of a story around the um, the laurel wreath that Dad wore. Um, yeah. yeah, and right. Then, <laughs> That's a, that's a story. That's a story to take away. Yeah. yeah. So, and he um he so that was his running. I mean, he always it was probably as you said, it was probably a natural progression into coaching. If he if he started the last and um gags, you've got you've got something. Sorry, happening. can I just just a thought uh, on his own running? Um, yeah. As I understand it, when Ron Clark broke the ten thousand meter world record on the old Cinder Track at Olympic Park. December 1963, Tommy ran third in the same race. Yes. He never wanted to talk about any time I asked him, but I always found that fascinating. Yeah. A win, to be running in a world record race in Melbourne, yeah. finishing third, to me is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. I look at, And I think Ron Clark, he broke two records in that race, apparently. I think it was at the six months. Because that, back then, Michael, it was all miles, so there was always that discrepancy with, the extra yards on the end, apparently, and huh. the right. talk is that he actually he actually broke two two world records: one for a, the six mile, and then one for the the ten k. Um, I mean, look, Dad finished third, but Ron Clark actually lapped Dad in the second place runner. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's how poor. I mean, Ron Clark was an amazing athlete, but as you say, to be in that race, mm. um, yeah. But I think I read somewhere there were only about 16 spectators at that particular event. So, um, and most of those were Ron Clark's family and friends. So I, I, I remember reading that somewhere, but um, yeah, and look, I suppose um, his fastest marathon was 224.40. Um, okay, yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm 16 days later, so this was after his 61 um, Korean marathon, he felt compelled to defend his Victorian marathon title in Mentone. Um, he, he, he was injured during the race and as a result he missed out on Commonwealth Games selection. So um, 
yeah, I mean, nowadays, of course, we don't back up from a, a marathon for another um, 16 days later. So, you know, it's come a long way training mm. the way you look after yourself and the way you prepare. But, um, yeah, so and then in 72, he won gold in the 3,000-metre steeplechase at Will Veterans in um, Munich at 41. So and he finished fifth in the 10K as well. Um, yeah. So, so these are all results. I mean, I don't know about everyone else, but you're right. He didn't chat about himself or he didn't tell you I did this or I did that. Um, he was a, an esteemed runner. He, he was. It's, um, even at Box Hill, he, he, he was... I think he had something like um, eight national titles, consecutive titles for um, Super Chase and the Marathon. So he he was a yeah he he was a, a very successful athlete. Um, yeah, he no look he he was amazing as I said he, yeah. he talked about it. Um, no. but, um, yeah. Well, that was some of his that was some of his early days and and how he came across and um and his time at at Box Hill and we heard actually from um, Brad Camp in our last um, episode of the podcast Brad came across with him from from Box Hill to DAC and they sort of both came across at the same time and and headed up DAC was that Patty maybe you can sort of and and gags is that was the early years of the club back then yeah I think the club was going would have been going. I wouldn't have been in the first five years of the club, as from yeah. from, from I understand. But yeah, so the club was new. I think Peter Ruff was was one of the early coaches with Tommy around that time, yep. and they sort of between them, they sort of started really started that culture, that the culture of the club back then, that that family culture, that and the and the elite culture we had back then of so many elite athletes and middle distance athletes at the time back then. You look at Brad Camp and yep. um, Paul Patrick, and some of the early great runners we had at the club. And then you, you know, look on forward and onto Sean Crewd and some of these great marathon runners we had, or we still do have at the club. But yeah, so it's a rich history the club had, and that all was from thanks to Tommy and Brad starting that the culture back then. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. It, it's it's hard to, I mean, look, the amount of um, Olympic, World Championships, Commonwealth Games athletes that Tom had something to do with, whether he coached them directly. Um, we also had Natalie Harvey on the podcast. Um, as well, but there's been, yeah, as you said, Paul Cleary and even even the likes of David McNeil, Libby Allen, uh, David Baxter, Ellie Hutton, Sonia Brito, just to name a few. I've probably missed a couple there, but even if he wasn't coaching them, he was mentoring them. I think he he always knew the athletes and knew them, whatever club they were from. I think. Yeah, well, Ed, and you have to look at just around athletic circles. Even now, people still know who Tommy is, still speak mm-hmm. about him, and, and I'm talking right across. Yes, it's a speech people like Steve Montagetti and Rob DeCastello, and they. They'll, they'll mention they had something to, something to do with Tommy or were touched by Tommy through their through their careers. And yeah. um, when we were speaking to Steve and Channing one cross country with Tommy around, and he's had that be able to talk to you and and just bring everyone in, no, no matter your ability, had that ability to do that. So yeah, yeah it was amazing. And uh, Gags, what are your some some of your memories early days at the at the club uh, with with Tommy? Well, certainly. The fact that there were Olympians around was a huge thing. Yeah. But Tommy always treated you with just as much time and attention uh, as any of the Olympians. I remember actually, I actually first met him before I was training with him when I was in year seven. I was uh, 
doing an interview with him for the uh, junior newspaper at Wifriars because he was then coaching Victor Wozniak and I needed to uh, do a bit of an interview about Victor. And uh, I remember sort of introducing myself and addressing him as Mr. Kelly, as Victor did. It took me a couple of years of coaching, actually, before I'd call him anything other than Mr. Kelly. <laughs> but I remember one of my early sessions, it would have been late 96. Um, that summer was when I started with him. And I rocked up down at Shrams Reserve where we trained uh, fairly regularly to avoid the old hard black track at Doncaster. Um, and Paul Cleary had just returned from a, a break after the Atlanta Olympics and was chatting to Tommy. And just very naturally, Tommy just said to me, Michael, have you met Paul? Well, here he is. Um, he's forgotten his watch, though, and he needs to go for a run. Can you lend him your watch? So here's me, 14-year-old, sort of in awe of this recently Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy just thought this is all very natural. Uh, there's no, nothing different between him and me as his athletes. So Paul borrowed my watch. I didn't. You know, it was pretty special wearing that for a little while. <laughs> but that was sort of the thing. It was no. Um, there was no airs and graces about anyone. Um, and you were just part of the scene immediately, part of the squad. Um, and I, I went to school. You know, able to tell people I was. Training with Olympians, essentially. Um, it was, yeah, it was a very exciting thing to become part of. Nice. And, Paddy, do you have any early memories of um, Tommy at the club when you joined? Yeah, I said I was very lucky. I said I, I, was, I spoke to you last time about this. When I joined the club, I sort of knew no one. But coming to the club as a young 13-year-old, amazing how he just embraced everyone, like like Michael said, just embraced everyone. Everyone was equal. Mm. Um, I remember a few early days of sample of social events and like Colleen said, he loved, loved to dance and that. He was always, he'd be always grabbing you, always getting you involved. He thought you were out in the side. He'd always find a way to drag you into the conversation <laughs> or bring you, bring anyone in. I can I can remember down there too, just training. He would just see people walking around the track and next thing you know, they're, they're, they're in your training squad. So yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. He was a good how, recruiter. Yeah, he was a great recruiter, but just amazing. Um, I remember there was a night too. This is this is a little bit little bit later. I'm not sure if you were there, Mike. You might have been. Um, you decided to go uh, an Irish. It was, it was St Pat's Day, so he had a few of us. So it takes to an Irish night at um, oh, I was in Glen Wade, I think it was. Part of not really part of the Irish community. So I think I was monitoring myself, Dave Flowers, Libby. I'm trying to think who else there was. Off well, we went off this Irish Irish um, night. It was an awesome night. And anyway, me and me and Dave were sitting at the back, and the um, host got us all up to having you know, have a dance. Me and Dave going, and we're the back. I was known to dance with. Next thing I know, we're on a dance with partners and we're doing Irish jigs and it was amazing. So, we had, again, he just had that awe to, to welcome everyone, no matter who you were, or just drag you in and had that, that presence to, to get you going and to, to get started. Yeah, sure. Colleen, we've um, spoken a lot about Tommy's achievements and, and what he's a part of at the club, but I just wonder if he ever spoke about what he was most proud of in relation to the club, if he ever you know, ever mentioned anything like that, if we was just too modest to ever bring it up? Well, he didn't really talk about that. I, I think for Dad, what he would have been proudest with um, would have been just individuals getting the best out of themselves. So um, as you all have said, you know, Dad had this um, ability to just treat everyone the same. Yep. It didn't matter about your ability and he just believed that, you know, if, if runners were committed to training hard, then he had to be committed to train, you know, to, to coaching them. And I think his goal might would have been getting athletes to achieve the best that they possibly could to enjoy the sport. But as but I think more importantly for dad, it was for them 
to be good people. So, you know, apart from the athletics coaching, I think dad's coaching and mentoring extended into nurturing young people to be better people. And, you know, um, as Patty and Michael said, dragging people into to that coaching group was part of dad um, helping to link people together, connecting them. Um, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of you have, have long-standing friendships which have all been born out of the club and the community and and what Dad nurtured and fostered there. So um, I think that's what he would be most proud of. Bob. Yeah, yeah. It's just the people he's actually Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to reinforce what Colleen's saying there, he with a few athletes really turned their whole lives around. So while they might have been there for athletics, um, he was so interested in them and their self-confidence and their purpose in life and, and their studies uh, that, um, you know, they, they were people who, who really needed a bit of a, a kickstart in life or didn't, didn't have um, a lot else that was working well for them. Um, and sometimes they were deliberately sent to Tommy, certainly a local PE teacher I know fairly well uh, used to, um, send people to Tommy deliberately, knowing that it would make a huge difference to them. And I think they're they're his really uh, most important coaching achievements um, to to have seen some of those people uh, develop and change. And that included Tommy getting involved in people's families too. Yeah. Uh, and often we didn't didn't know the stories. And I think it was it was after his death and the, the stories told uh, even before the funeral. You just realised how involved with everyone's families uh, he was. But he would get to know parents, siblings even those who weren't into athletics at all um, and ended up at all sorts of family birthdays and weddings and events. Um, <laughs> of, of um, so I think that was part of his whole approach, that he really was interested in the whole person and their, their development, and he just did it so well. Mm. Do you think that's what got him involved in the schools, going to Xavier and Whitefriars? I would say so. I mean, his, his love for nurturing young people... I, yeah, Xavier, I can't remember when he started because to me it, it seemed like he'd always been the coach at Xavier when I sort of turned up. Whitefriars, mm. um, he got involved partly because as a Whitefriars boy and <laughs> one who was desperate to increase the culture of Atson uh, Cross Country at Whitefriars, I've been at Whitefriars for a long time to get Tommy into coach. Uh, and finally, um, in my, my final year, when I was lucky enough to captain those teams, uh, they agreed with me that Tommy should come and coach. So my year 12 year was the first time he started coaching at White Cross. Um, and then, yeah, was co coaching there until he died um, and made a huge difference to improving the culture of Aston Cross Country at White Cross. So um, part of that was, yeah, he, he loved coaching um, junior athletes, but also, you know, the fact that one of his athletes was there and was passionate about athletics at the school and wanted it to improve was enough for him to say yes, um, even with all his other commitments and all his athletes. Um, he was always keen to, to honour that because one of his athletes was there. What other what other schools was he involved with, Colin? You might, I mean, he was yeah. involved with a lot of a lot of them. Xavier Whitefriars probably comes to mind in terms of what he did um, most recently. But did he start? Where did he start? So with his when he settled in Box Hill, he, he mm. worked because um, he really didn't have a lot of formal schooling or training. So he worked as a maintenance painter at Box Hill Hospital for about 18 years. Um, and he would sometimes take on additional work at the post office in Melbourne. 
Um, and because of time, he would always run. So he would run from the Box Hill Hospital down into the city um, to work at the post office and he would include that um, as part of his training run. But then I think with his experience with Box Hill and, and he, he became involved with coaching, Dad also had a thirst for knowledge and wanting to improve himself. Um, so he, he joined, he started to study at night school at Burwood um, College, which may have been Christ College, um, and he gained his accreditation to teach PE while still working at Box Hill Hospital. So that's how he got his teaching qualification. And then his first job was at CBC St Kilda from about 78 to 1980. Yep. So Eddie McGuire was there. So Dad taught Eddie um, PE and often at the reunions because Dad be him. Doesn't <laughs> reunions, you know, Eddie would be there and he'd have a bit of a chat with Eddie. And then he got um, recruited to, I think it was Brother Heathing, Hetherington um, recruited Dad then to St Leo's. So Dad went to St Leo's from 1988 to 1992 until its closure. And he taught PE and sport there and he further developed the um, educational camp program with his great friend and colleague Brendan Lay um, and as a, as a, together St Leo's won 16 consecutive athletic and cross-country premierships in the Eastern Independent Schools competition so that was wow. that was pretty significant um, and then he also became a specialist athletic coach at Whitefriars Xavier Wrighton and Genizano so there yeah, that, that sort right. of his school, um, a school association, and um, how he how how he actually got his teaching accreditation. But um, yeah, as I said, Dad was always about that thirst, that drive for knowledge, um, and just always wanting to improve himself so he could then help others better mm -hmm. as well. So um, yeah, I think his. Uh, influence in those schools right until the end was was quite clear too at the funeral we had a, a guard of honor of those last four schools that Colleen mentioned um, current students in those schools and also the the recently graduated you know two three four years out of school um, they were all there and you know among the thousand at the funeral um, and that was quite a touching moment seeing those particularly kids in in their uniforms um, as we brought Tommy out do you know Brad's um, camp spoke about this most recently. He obviously had a thirst for knowledge because he always had notes on how every other athlete was training internationally or in Australia. Do you know how he had his finger on the pulse at all times? He just, Brad was saying, he just used to pull out all these sessions that yeah. some national marathoner over on the other side of the world just happened to be doing. Do you, does anyone know how he used to just know what everyone was up to? I think he just loved to read, didn't he, Colleen? He just loved to read, always take notes. And then that yeah. backpack, he used to carry that bag. I don't know if you remember that, Michael, but that backpack, he used to come to training with. And he'd, he'd, pulled a, he'd pulled a book out of that backpack, he was running to hide because it was something tough. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime he had to refer to something written for a session, we got scared. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was. He was widely read. And I know Lydia, he was pretty, um, he, he followed a lot of him. He, I think he even um, did some of the sand sessions with the, uh, Percy Serity. So, um, yeah, I just think it was his thirst for knowledge and his yeah. his desire to see what other coaches were doing around the world. Um, 
I mean, look, the house was filled with various running magazines from, yeah, yeah from from decades and, um, you know, and a lot of pages were earmarked. And, I mean, there's just reams of information here that um, I sort of have adopted and um, still going through, <laughs> still, going, still going through them all. But um, uh, and I think it's just his, his broad knowledge. Um, of of different events, you know, he, he um, I know someone said that they sort of described him as having this incredible feel for coaching, and it was a school that you couldn't teach. It was it was almost an innate ability, and you know, I remember parents coming up to me, and and, and I think even you, Nathan, you had a pre preconceived idea of what event you were going to do, or you thought you were good at, or you wanted to pursue, but Dad had a might have had a different idea, and you know, thought, "Oh, well, you could be a hurdler, and you're a middle distance runner." And um, it kept getting longer for me, which I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the ultimate goal. He thought you were going to be a middle distance runner, a long distance runner. Eventually, he would get you um, into that event. So, and you know, he could just as easily be delivering. Um, the Zatapec ten thousand meter champions like Natalie or, or Dave McNeil to assisting you know, an Australian sprinter in Dave Baxter with block starts or, you know, Adrian, Nathan, Michael with all your individual event pursuits and then as comfortably leading a group of little apps around the track like, the, you know, a Pied Piper delivering instructions. Um, <laughs> and then there might be a group of 12 or 13-year-old schoolboys and he's advising them on triple jump technique or high jump. But he's just knowledge was, um, was just so broad and, and deep. Um, yeah, and he was always pushing female athletes. So he was in, you know, I think back probably back then, or there was the attitude that um, female athlete, athletes couldn't train hard. But you know, I, I think he changed a lot of that thinking. And and even with the steeplechase, I remember he was pushing for steeplechase for women to be introduced and. He had, I believe, some input into the height of the steeple for women. So um, he was sort of beyond his time, I think, Dad, in mm. a lot of ways. Even, even nutrition, he, he was sort of a one step ahead even with nutrition and how it benefits the athlete or, or if you're injured, get hitting the pool and doing pool sessions. Um, so, yeah, he was, he was ahead of his time in a lot of areas, um, yeah. And he wore, as you said, Colin, he wore a few hats and he did it all at once. Um, I mean, at the top of the 100 was where we all met um, and we all, uh, you know, started our session and he would sit there and he could he could do a bit of everything, do a bit of oversee long jump, oversee the sprinters, oversee the long distance uh, guys and girls running around. So he, I don't know how he did it. I mean, Colleen and, and uh, Paddy is sort of going into that coach, coaching realm now and, you know, it, it's hard to keep a hold of 10 or 15, but he had 50. Yeah. Oh, I was amazing. And you, obviously, Nate, Nate, Michael and, and Colin, you've been this for Boston. You carry on the Tuesday nights. And if you were, if you didn't know what was going on, you'd, go, you'd think it was a celebrity down on the track. <laughs> Tom in the middle of a circle and it'd be up to, like Nate said, 20, yeah. 30 people all looking for a session. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd dish out, be, and it wouldn't be just one session for 30 no. people. There'd be 25 different sessions. 
Yeah. yeah. You think, oh, right. off you go, you do your session, you think, oh, he's not watching or he didn't see that rep, but he'd come <laughs> after you and he'd say, well, that rep was good or yeah. you work on that. And you'd go, how, 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 you must have eyes in the back of the head. It was an absolute, <laughs> on a Tuesday night, a nice spring night, this time of year on a Tuesday night. Yeah. It was an amazing, it was an amazing sight. And everyone got through their sessions, everyone trained well. Sure, there was groups, but it was mm. amazing how everyone, he had just the amount of time for everyone. Look, Michael, you call it some, there's some nights there, remember, we were young, we could have up to 30, 40 tracks just full of Tommy's athletes. Yeah, and it was it was unbelievable. Nice. It was Nathan Paddy just said it really well because it's exactly what it was. It was a great atmosphere. He was on top of it all. He was yeah. working on the hurdling technique, the block starts, the middle distance, the girls doing their long longer distance stuff. Like there were really five or six different groups at any given yeah. time. But you never felt like you didn't get his attention. Yeah. The only challenge was at the end of the sessions. Um, when everyone wanted to have their final chat with Tommy before going, without the pressure of actually doing the session, the final chats went for a while. Um, so you sort of get yourself in a little queue at the top of the hundred. Yep. You've been chatting to each other, waiting for him to finish, and then you turn around, and he was at the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> he would duck off. Down the straight a couple of miles. You're waiting. We get to the, the finish line. You'd look up again. He was back at the, the hundred meter start, and you hadn't even realised it. Mm. Um, but the, his ability to to manage all of those athletes well, not just there was a lot of things going on, he managed them all well. Uh, it was an extraordinary ability that none of us, even in a team of people trying to do it, have got close to matching since. No. And that's probably been the biggest um, hole at the club to try and fill. I mean, you're not going to be able to fill his role. He's left a, a massive legacy. And I guess what we're all trying to do is continue what he did and, and support one another and, and keep that atmosphere going at the club. And I think we're doing that. Um, but it's a, it's a tough thing to do. But the fact we're here seven years on and he's still very much a part of the club, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose the other um, challenge we all had too was the other challenge was keys, trying to get keys out of him because he knows where he put the keys. Which... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, he had keys on his key ring. I mean, yeah. well, they're in the car, laddie, and you go to the car, and the boot couldn't find him. You come to the track, and someone who's trying to get the gates open, the equipment out, and there was a set of keys somewhere. And he realised they'd given from another athlete two days ago. So he'd be trying to run out of the hill, trying to get the gates open. There, that was that was his only problem down for him keeping his eyes on keys. That was, um, <laughs> was very, very comical on Tuesday night when we had something out of the sheds or the gates, yeah. trying to um, trying to get open was very funny. And we touched on it too, but he. He loved to chat, as we said. He, um, he would. He would. I mean, look, I went overseas with uh, Eddie, uh, myself, and uh, Tommy. And and look, I won't run you through all of it, but um, to try and catch a train at a certain time was very, very difficult. With, um, with Tommy chatting to pretty much everyone, and it was great. He would. He would adopt the whether it's the the person at the reception on the checkout, and we're still there 15, 20 minutes later, still talking about our stay, and it was good, and it was great. Thanks for thanks for having us. But, you know, the, the train, I remember one instance was we had to catch this train, and it was the only opportunity, you know, we couldn't muck about, and we're up the platform. Me and Eddie were there, but uh, where's Tommy? Where's Tommy? He's, he, and we, we, we literally, I think we lost him there for a couple of minutes. Mm. The train was coming, but he would he would just pop up. Tom, where have you been? We've been looking for you everywhere. I've been running down one way. Eddie's running up the other platform. But he would just pop up. He said, oh, I met a, a friend. He, he was a runner. Or, or Not a friend, but he's, he's made a friend who was a runner. And um, <laughs> the rest is history. So he loved yeah. to chat. Yeah. And he was easy to lose to, as you say, Nathan. One minute yep. you'd be walking with him. And this is often in Ireland. The next minute you'd look around and there was no sign of him. And, and inevitably he knew someone or he found someone that he yeah. knew or he just struck up a conversation with, with yeah. someone. He was um, 
yeah, I, I remember I think even when we, I met your family for the first time at the airport when you were going overseas That's with right. them and yep. you even disappeared there and we're going with that. With that with it wasn't that. a good start. We're doing <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I think I might have said to you, you need to look out for dad yeah. because he has a tendency to just wander <laughs> off and talk to someone and, yeah. You gave me the red hot tip then, and gee, did I need that tip because I was on my toes that whole two months away. Yeah, he'd but, always um, come back with a smile on his face, wouldn't he? As if he'd been up to a bit of mischief. Well, he 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 would think nothing's gone wrong, and I said I've been stressing that we're going to miss this train, but you know it was all came in his stride with Tommy. He he, he wasn't phased, um, and I think that that lends itself to how he knew other coaches in the in the athletic realm. Um, he, he knew everyone, everyone knew him, but um, Richard Huggins, um, a good friend of Tommy's um, coaching out at Knox, I remember leading into that Europe trip, he he wanted to step our training up and he, he said, look, I've got I've got something in mind and he took us over to um, st- um, Richard Huggins over there at Knox and, and we're able to jump in his session and his athletes and jump into another, you know, club's group but Tommy knew them and everyone was a family and I think that was a, a good thing he brought that he he could dive on some of Richard's thinking and his ability to coach and and as you said he always had his finger on the pulse to understand what the latest um, craze was or the latest coaching um, skills were so yeah he knew everyone. He was a good mentor to a lot of coaches too a lot of people don't yeah. realize. I know Mocky might remember we had a few coaches who'd come down and obviously they're trying to get their coaches agree you used to have to do few hours under a level three coach back in the old system so we, we had mike hillard down a few take a few sessions and he was such a mentor like we'd all have coaches yeah. come in and take sessions and just monitor him through the tracks he monitors so many if you were to go through so many of the coaches yeah. the current good coaches you would have thought tommy's mentored a lot of the current australian coaches going around at the minute and that's the thing five national coaching accreditation at the ais which allowed him to mentor but even um he, he assisted with the um, – he also uh, conducted a diploma of coaching course in athletics on behalf of the IAAF in Jakarta in 89. And then the following year was lecture at the IAAF Specialist Track Events course. Um, he lectured at all levels for AT and FCA summer school courses nationally and held positions as coach educator for Top Country and Steeplechase. He held positions as mentor coach – um, as Paddy said, for level two participants and supervising coach for those attempting level mm. three. So, um, yeah, it was quite broad, his experience across that area. Well, he, that, that, that shows that he's helped shaped not only DAC, but athletics in general, really. Mm. Um, as Paddy said, most of the coaches nowadays have had something to do with Tom and they've, they've, Tom's helped them along the way and, and continued coaching. You know, athletics isn't a massive sport. Um, but it's big if you're in it and you know it, it is big. So, um, yeah. yeah. But apparently he also assisted with the um, organisation of the first junior middle distance camp at Falls Creek. So some of the athletes attending included um, Monaghetti, Hoyle, Norwood and, and Brad. So right. Yeah. So, um, Paddy, Brad? you had a few trips up there. Yeah, <laughs> it was you know, great trips too, but getting yeah. up was a bit hairy. Again, I, if you've been in the bus with Tommy and Colleen, I don't know. We, 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 I remember the, the first year we went up, we had, took a mini bus over, we left Boxing Day. We're all happy as Larry, but um, like you said, Tommy loved the chat, but driving and chatting probably <laughs> were the two, <laughs> two best things at the time. So you'd find yourself obviously just 
Tommy talking, but obviously he turned his head away from the road to have a chat. <laughs> you're saying, Tommy, just watch the road, man. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, they were great trips up there. And again, you get up there and you just knew everyone. You just mm-hmm. everyone was there. Andy, I mean, it was like, up there is like a magnet. You'd be, yeah. it was, a, yeah, they were amazing trips for such. A, like, I was a junior athlete at the time. It was amazing to go up there and just see all these great athletes. And because you're a part of Tommy's squad or part of a Tommy, you're all instantly welcome into right. this, broader, this broader community of athletics. And it was, it was amazing. So as a junior athlete, it was very, one, inspiring, and two, um, yeah, very welcoming up there. Yeah. Brad Camp spoke very fondly of those uh, false group camps. Yeah. So, you know, he said a lot of his development was done up there. It, and it was just great. You think you go up there, it was three or four, three weeks of hard running, but it, it was enjoyable three weeks. It was absolutely, utterly enjoyable. Yeah. Again, apart from my client said playing cards, again, he didn't like to lose Tommy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> did not like to lose playing cards. Scrabble with you. <laughs> <laughs> you ever play Scrabble with you? Uh, playing cards, that, that was hard enough, Colin. That was, uh, <laughs> you were always looking up the dictionary to make sure the, de- the word devil was in the dictionary. <laughs> Uh, what does that surprise me? The yeah, cards were. I remember a couple of times we were playing a game. He lost, and it was. Uh, yeah, it was was a bit. Was a very. <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny in one way, but yeah. Just, well, I think I think um, as you said, Boris, Brad, Brad spoke early, um, really well of Tom, and the fact he came over from Box Hill was um was a big credit and helped probably build the club in the early years. But the other thing that Brad did mention is. You know, Tommy was always up for a challenge too. I think Brad sat down with Tom and said, "Look, I want to, I want to go to the Olympics, and how are we going to get there? I want to go in the marathon," and they did it. And um, you know, they sat down and and built the plan, and and off he went. So, you know, it just shows that um, Tommy's dedication and and the way he can do that. And um, yeah, in uh, and off Brad went to the Olympics. So, yeah, that's right. Be interesting to say, I've never done it. I've always wanted to do it. I wonder how many Olympic athletes and, and come off games athletes Tommy actually coached or was involved mm. in. It'd be amazing to think about. I tried years ago trying, I think me and you did it years ago, Michael tried to have a tried to figure it out, but it was we sort of lost count after a while. It was just amazing. And as you um, say, there were yeah. he was mentoring even if not yeah. coaching, you know. Yeah. yeah. Involved with a lot of people. And it's hard to sort of pinpoint how far that reach was. Nathan and I tried to figure it out the other day. Um and we couldn't really get through it either. It's a, a too long a list. Yeah, definitely too long a list. I think. I think. He, look, he knew them all. So there you go. I think yeah. he knew them and he chatted <laughs> yeah. to them at some point in time. So. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's not so much a link out today. You've got to look at some of the sports he's coached as well. You look at some people like Dan Hanbury. He was involved with as yeah. well the f- footballers. It was an so, amazing yeah. that amazing amount of footballers and netballers and other sports. You look now. You've got obviously Eddie. Eddie in the triathlons now, you got yep. Bree in bobsledding, just two to make two to make a few of yeah. the Kim footballers. Brennan. Sorry, Kim Brennan, yeah, Kim Brennan, yeah. the two time three, sorry, three time Olympic gold medalist. So yeah. amazing. Amazing for you to see just how many sports he crossed over into. He had athletes he was involved in he was he gave them that base and that I think that confidence as well to achieve their goals. That was that was made that's what made him so special, is that he gave people confidence to achieve their goal, no matter what it was, football, athletics. Mm. bobsledding, you know, whatever it was, he, he he instilled that confidence in you to, to achieve your goals. Yeah, and I think the bit for me that was probably the most um, greatest memory or the asset that I've got going forward is, as you said, Paddy, he gives you confidence. I think outside the track, he was my coach on the track, but I think in life he's, he's made me a better person. And I think um, 
just still, yeah, you just don't know. And, and until we lost him those seven years ago, um, you don't know how much he's made an impact in your life until you know you till you think about it. So look, I'm still running now, but it's it's not all about running. It's about what what other traits you can bring in. I think he's given me a lot. So that's something I'll take away. So I'll just go back just to one. You talked about what when you're speaking to Colleen when he was, when he was most great, uh, proud of. I, I remember seeing Tommy the track, and I think one of the, the best things I've ever seen when he was, he was always alive, it always made him feel happy, is when he had his two greatest passions. He's when he had his family, like Colleen, when you and your kids were down there at the coach, but he was coaching other athletes. His face lit up when he'd see Colleen mm-hmm. or Jimsy running around the track. He used to. It was a, you'd go to another level to have his family, which yeah. he loved his family, and spoke about quite fondly of, but also have the, the athletes at the track. And I think that they were the greatest, or well, I seemed the most happiest when he had everyone near his family and his athletes all the track together, coaching. And you know, and I think he loved, he enjoyed that thoroughly. No, look, and you're you're right, Patty. And even with um, even with the kids, I remember uh, James because James was at Whitefriars, and I mean James was very much into his basketball, and that did not worry dad at, at all you know he was happy and the amount of times he used to go down and watch the kids play their sports you know Caitlin with her basketball or if he was in a run at Siena he'd sort of pop bob up there or um as I said James with his with his basketball and I mean James sort of reluctantly joined the cross-country team um at White Park and it was more to have that time with dad um, you know, and he begrudgingly, because <laughs> I remember one day he said to, he said, he yelled out to dad, you because know, James was quite a big muscly kid and he said, you know, I think he's yelled out something to dad, you know, look at me, dad, look at some of the runners around me, they're all these whippets and here's this big kid <laughs> running, running out at the back. But, I mean, look, I mean, James, yeah, he really loved the, those times that he was able to, to do that and, and see Dad and just even spend some time with training. And I know Brendan and Chris's son, Nick, the same thing. He ran for St Kevin's. And the only reason he ran cross-country was that it was an opportunity to see Dad at some point. Yeah. So, um, and even Matt, who wasn't really um, the greatest of athletes, you know, he got into basketball and then into reffing. Dad would go down and watch Matt ref. Yeah. So, you know, he just, he had this inordinate amount of time, seemingly, when yeah. <laughs> he, he would always come to our events. And and even, you know, with with all of the four of us growing up with, you know, with mum and dad, it was, um, he, he would just manage to bob up where we weren't expecting him. And I can remember... Um, Back then I was running, I think, zone and you had to finish the top eight. I was under 10s. You had to finish top eight to qualify for the Vicks in cross country. And I think at the time, I know I was somewhere in the middle of the race and um, I was just coasting a little bit. I just thought, oh, this is all getting a bit, little bit hard. I'll just have a, a bit of a relax. Anyway, Dad's popped up from behind this bush. He shut up. Get up there, Colin. Get up there. You might at the moment. So anyway, I'm going to get the stakes on. So I qualified. I, I think I finished eight. Um, so I got through to 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 state and and um, yeah. So I just he just and, and the kids said the same. He would just pop up mm. when you least expected him. But I agree. He loved he loved family. Um, so it was the bonds of family and home. Uh, that were yeah, that were really really vital to him, and I think it gave him a bit of a balance as well. 
Um, but we don't know where he found all the time. <laughs> it's Did funny you, you say that, though, because Brad spoke very fondly of Tommy and he said that he was almost like a father figure to him yeah. you know like I, I feel like he had a, just a really big impact on on all the athletes that he coached like a real personal connection with all the athletes that he coached mm. he found that way Boris it was like I said we've said a times he found he somehow found that way to find to find a way to, to not only as an athlete but know you as your life he was always yeah. like I remember when I started down I was a young apprentice he's always found a way to sort of help you get through to balance your life and you and and you're running as well. So you always you know, found a way, and there's always an interest there. He'd always ask how's work going. There's a problem there. He'd always try and find help you find a way through. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah. that, that what made him so special it was more about running. It was about life in general. And yeah. like Michael said before, and, and you might have said, Nate, he, he helped you achieve whatever goal it was. It might have been mm-hmm. your running goal or a life goal. And I know mm-hmm. I, I spoke to him before. He said I would have. I was a shy kid when I started at the, the track, and yeah. next thing you know, and now I'm sort of. To achieve heart, well, my life's goal would have been nothing if I hadn't been to that track and met, met Tommy. So mm-hmm. it's just an amazing what he had the ability to to find a way to, to bring the best out. Of, I think to find the bring the best out of whoever it was. And again, you could have you could have one session or two thousand sessions. You'd always yep. you'd always find that way to yeah. bring the best out of you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's well said. I think uh, it it keeps coming up that he got the best out of everyone. Didn't matter your ability. Didn't matter where you came from. And I think that's a that distills a great coach and uh, a great guy he was. So yeah, I mean, look, we've uh, we've chat. I mean, you can chat to the cows come home. Really, you can. You, you know, we've chatted for about an hour, but I think you could continue to chatting all day. I think. Um, what some what what are some as we go around? What are some sort of finishing summaries of 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 Tommy from everyone? Oh. I, I can remember. I said, my, "Come, my greatest memories again is this: um, the way he welcomed everyone." I can. I, I think I spoke a number of times. A couple of them is watching him down the track with his family and have coaching. But the other fond memory I had with him is, is when we were watching Dave when he won. I think he's Zatapec. Yeah. That mm. smile on his face was unbelievable. It was gleaming just with this pride and his happiness for Dave. But what made it so special was if you seen that smile with one of the young girls who'd run a PB, it was exactly the same smile. It didn't matter yeah. if you were Dave running that when he's at a pack. If a young girl ran a PB, and again, Michael and Nathan might remember this, they back straight at Box Hill watching it down the Interclub or State, whatever it's called, yeah. Shield, or back Interclub is back calling the day. If he ran a PB, it was that same smile on his face. So you might have run, whatever your PB was, he found he had that same glint, that same pride. If you come over with a PB or a goal, he'd be, that's the same smile and that same joy, joyfulness in, in his face is unbelievable. No matter who you were, no matter your ability, it was unbelievable. Yeah. He would give you a handshake and almost break oh, your hand, wouldn't yeah. he? <laughs> he had yeah. a fair handshake on him. That's it. At the same, you might have seen this, Michael, in your, your ordination, your ordination he, the smile on his face there was unbelievable as well too. So... Again, no matter you told me your achievements in life, just when you seen you reach your goal, it was um it was unbelievable. Gags, what about you, mate? Yeah, I think well, Paddy's just touched on something there. It's, it's sort of quite personal. Well, it, you know, it's a personal story, but I think it, it sums up Tommy in that um, Paddy and I actually always used to we used to talk about how we never thought Tommy got enough recognition. You know, his yeah, volunteer yeah. coach who was putting in so much, and we had this little plan that if if either of us ever got to a sort of elite level medal dais. Um, we were going to send Tommy out to collect the medal instead of ourselves, um, which look, was a bit of a pipe dream, what <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always had this sense that, you know, hadn't done him justice uh, on, on the track. Um, and then 
I was actually living overseas the last four years of his life and, and didn't get a lot of time with him. Um, but one of the things that happened was that uh, I was ordained deacon in Rome and uh, Colleen happened to run into my family at the airport um, on their way over for that ordination. They came a couple of weeks early. And one thing led to another and we uh, ended up in Ireland visiting uh, Tom where he was uh, visiting his family and managed to convince him to come across, change his plans, delay his return to Australia and come across my ordination there. Um, one of his concerns obviously was the boys at home, that uh, they were ready for him to be back. So we convinced him he could send a couple more weeks of programs. <laughs> the boys managed to cope without him for a couple of extra weeks. Yep. Um, but yeah, to be able to, it was, we just had some beautiful moments there. He, he absolutely loved being there, being in St. Peter's uh, in Rome, which was an important place for him. And um, I, I just remember farewelling him uh, from there and just the, yeah, the look, look on his face, the, the tears in his eyes, um, you knew how much it meant to him to be there. Um, and that was a sort of moment where you, you I just realised and, and as everyone else would have realised that um, it was those moments in your life that, that made him happiest to be part of. Mm. Yeah, well said. Colleen, what, if you can pluck anything out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, look, it's, I mean, there, there is just, as I said, you know, yesterday I, I spent the day um, reading through a lot of letters and um, reflecting on his life and it's, um, look, I think as you've all alluded to, I mean, Michael, what he, he said, um, I, I know Dad, Dad was, um, that was a quite a pivotal time in Dad's life being able to share that with Michael in Rome. Um, I think it renewed, not renewed, but it, it sort of, well, renewed his sense of, like, the faith. I mean, Dad was always a, had a very strong faith, but I know being present for Michael, that, that, that was something quite special that Dad often spoke about. Um, and, I, and I think, as I said, looking at the letters, it's the amount of people um, that Dad actually helped away from the track um, and across generations, so there were letters from grandparents um, that Dad had known and he, he coached their, their children and then the grandchildren. So he, he was very much young at heart and I think being around young people um, kept, him, kept him young and engaged, he was never judgmental. Um, he accepted everyone for who they were. Um, and as I said, I, I think um, unbeknownst to us, he did help a lot of people um, sort of get through some challenging times in their life. And it was more as a person, not as the coach. It was as the mentor, the friend, someone who cared. Um, I've mentioned, you know, I suppose the bonds of family and home. Um, that was part of, of the essence of who he was. Um, he remained tied to Ireland and he got back there in the, the latter part of his lives and got to spend time with, you know, his nephews and was very proud of their achievements. And then the, again, there's the love of athletics, so his connection to young people um, and, you know, so that, that I mean, DSA were, were his second family, so they were his extended family. And as you've all said, um, he, he just got welcomed into people's families. So he had these families all over, all over Australia that, um, yeah, so it was amazing that connection that he had with, with, with people. And then as you and um, Eddie would know, the, that spirit of adventure that saw him 
go skydiving with you two days. You know, out from here and Dad sounded like this excited schoolboy and he said, Colin, Colin, guess what I've done? Guess what I've done? And I'm thinking, oh, God, Dad, what is it? He said, I jumped out of a plane with Nathan and Eddie and I think I said, you what? <laughs> because he just had um, uh, carotid artery surgery that year and, and so he really should have been ticking no, no, no on all of those. <laughs> he ticked them all. Yes, I'm fine. He had all of these. But he also bungee jumped, you know, in um, yeah, so he bungee jumped in New Zealand when he was in his 70s. And then there was all the things he used to do, do with the kids, you know, climbing trees with the kids. And, um, you know, I remember Christmases we'd, we'd all go down with Dad to chop down a branch off this off a tree down to Kunong Creek and Dad would, you know, scurry up the tree. He'd pick, he'd pick the perfect branch and then he'd start to cut it down. And one time the funny story is that the branch hit a power line which caught on fire and hit the ground and the bushes went up and someone had called the, the fire brigade. So, it's, you know, and it's, it's just um, it's the sense of adventure and the leprechaun story you may not know. Um, every full moon the leprechaun left us minties on our swing and being young children we absorbed this information that, oh, my God, it's a full moon and, Yes, then we'd wake up in the morning, there'd be minties <laughs> on our team that the leprechaun had brought. And, you know, at one time there was actually the leprechaun laughing in the corner of, of the backyard. Um, and that had been Dad. He'd made this recording. And, you know, Dad set all that magic up for us as, as children. Um, and then I suppose finally it's his love of knowledge, Um and the written word. So, I mean, how many times did you receive letters or notes? And we love sayings. We found so many sayings written on serviettes and napkins in all of his pockets and amongst all of his, his paperwork. And um, I know one of his favourite ones was that um, he felt running gave people the freedom to um, to become, to know about themselves, So so to sort of, become who you were and see how far you could go. So, um, yeah, it's, look, and I think as Dave McNeil said, Dad was a man for others, so um, very selfless in, in life. So, yeah. You have said it quite a lot, Nathan, on the podcast um, about your, some of your fond memories, but is, is there anything else that comes to mind? Oh, look, there's... There's a lot, but obviously the, the most cherishing times was when, when I went to Europe with Tommy and Eddie and um, the opportunity, first of all, that we had that um, chance to uh, to go with him. And and he was just keen from the get-go. He wanted to be part of the boys and and, and be with us and, and come over. And, and it was great the first time he said, me and Eddie were always thinking about going, but he said, oh, I think I might come, laddies. And I said, oh, we were, we were taken aback, man, Eddie. We, we weren't sure if he was going to come. And he um he was keen from the get-go and I think throughout that whole trip um there's there's some fantastic memories like jumping out of a plane was one and um you know there's there's many more but the fact he was always wanting to be a part and that team atmosphere and that that's back into whether it's a session he would get everyone together whether all abilities he'd bring you together and and on that trip was about us three being together on that trip and and really you know 
taking the memories in and, and meeting his family. He was so fond and, and proud of his family that he took us back to where he grew up. And um, I'm, I'll forever hold that pretty dearly to, to, to me that I was, had the chance to do that. Um, and he was just proud. I remember one of the, the moments um, I ran a few races in Europe and a couple weren't very good. And, and he would, he, he would tell me they weren't crash hot, but there was always the next race um, to go to and to improve on. And, and it was in Oxford um, where Robert, Robert Bannister won, uh, broke the four minute mile. Actually, I get to, I got to run there and it was one of our last races and I had a good crack in the mile and I got a PB and I was pretty happy. But um, what made me happier was, was um, Tommy after the race. He, he gave me the biggest handshake and the smile as Paddy's alluded to. And I, I knew that he was proud and, and it, it makes you go to the next one. So I'll hold that and uh, keep running for him and keep running for the club going forward. So that's probably the, the fondest one. Yeah. Now to commemorate, um, to commemorate Tom Kelly, we're going to be doing a, a Seb Co session on Tuesday, the 15th. Paddy, would you mind giving everyone just a, a quick outline of that session? Yeah. Look, everyone, look, I really strongly encourage, even if it's not part of your program, everyone, I reckon, I think it, it can be part of your program. It's a great session. And I think it's a great way to, um, to remember Tommy and it's something I'm still, we can't get to the track and do. I know the last few years it's been really, it's great to see everyone down there and just, the um the camaraderie everyone doing it but basically all it is you basically started a hunt not you nathan nathan fin, fin, you listen finchy you don't do it you do it the proper way finchy okay <laughs> yep. um, we started 100 meters and we work up by 10 meter intervals to 200 meters so there's 11 reps in total so you do 100 meters um then you obviously walk oh, about 20 25 meters and you jog back to your next mark which is 110 then you um that was do your 110 so on up to 200 meters. So the the goal of the session is to start at your 1500 meter, start at your 1500 meter pace and finish at 800 meter pace. So get quicker. So rough, roughly, you should drop roughly a second per 10 meters. If that sort of, it's a rough, it's a rough calculation. But yeah. the time doesn't matter. Just get in and have a go. And I, I understand a lot of us can't get to a track these days it's with lockdowns. But trying to footy over don't have to be doesn't have to be perfect. Just step out 100 to 200 meters. Doesn't have to be perfect. And again, if you can't do it as a Sebco, do it as a time. It will go up by 10 seconds a rep. So maybe start a minute and go up to two minutes. Just do something and just to, just to, um, just so you can keep the memory going because as we've all spoken about, it, he's an, he was an amazing person. And I think one that spoke about is he was a generational person. He found a way to cross generations. He looked from Brand Camp era to my area, to your area, Nathan. I still reckon one of the greatest photos is um, you guys, Nathan, George, George, Georgie Miller's wedding down in Tassie. Mm. The whole group used to go. That is a beautiful photo. And just just proved the way he had, you could go through the generations and, and, and find a way to regenerate. Yep. So, yeah, so I really encourage everyone to do it on Tuesday night, so or Tuesday day sometime. And I'm just, yep. just you know, speak your fondest memories and maybe flood the, the Facebook page of our memory, the club Facebook page of memories of Tommy. Maybe it'd be a nice way to, if we can't get to the track, we just put a nice memory on the, the Facebook page of Tommy and remember as we remember him on Tuesday. That's cool. a great idea, Patty. Maybe a photo too, which yeah. is some of those photos. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great on you to see some of the old photos. all the time, do they? It's just the images. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's um, yeah. Everyone, get out there on Tuesday. Um, that it's always a great session. So, look, I'll, I'll look. I'll firstly, um, or lastly, like to thank everyone for coming on today. I think it's um, it's a it was a great idea, Patty, to sort of get a your idea to get on and, and talk shop about Tom. And I think I've learned a bit knowing him for many years, but there was a lot of things that I didn't know. And and for people that didn't know him, um, Boris, it would have been great for you to get to know him. But I think you know his 
his attributes and his contribution that he made that um, is that we can sort of give out to the listeners. So, no, thanks very much for coming on, everyone. Can I just um, thank, thank you all? Um, I suppose um, as his anniversary comes around every year, we all tend to um, examine the relationship that we all shared with Dad and, um, and I suppose the extent and impact that he had on our lives. Um, and we know we can never replace what's being lost, but um, we sort of find new connections, um, new friendships and relationships are, are strengthened. Um, and I think also that care and support for each other, each other becomes renewed. And I know I thank your dad, Nathan, that um, I think, you know, apart from the legacy of dad, the coach, um, the, the athlete, um, the fact that the track's named after him. It's more the living legacy that I think he's left in all of you. You know, I see it in in Paddy and in Michael and, and you, Nathan, and, and all these athletes. Um, it's just those qualities that he's brought out in you, um, which you probably don't realise, but in his touch on your lives, he has almost brought those qualities out. So, um, you know, the family are very grateful for the way you honour Dad every year. It means a lot to us. So um, you are his living legacy. Mm. Thank you. No, thank you, Colleen. And, and um, thanks, Paddy. Thanks, Michael. Boris, thanks for joining us today. It's, uh, look, it's always tough to speak about, well, it's great to speak about, about Tom, but tough at the same time. Um, so Tuesday we'll do the session for him and we'll, we'll always remember him. So um, this one's for Tom. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks, everyone, for your time. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah.